It is Friday, the 8th of September. It is the Feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Son of Mary, hear our prayer. Son of Justice, the Virgin was born before you as dawn comes before day. Make us walk in your light. Vine of life, the Virgin is the root from which you sprang. Bless your people that we may remain faithful to you. Living bread, the virgin gave you the flesh of our human race. Nourish in us the fullness of life through her prayer and example. O God, you gave life to the world through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Son of the Blessed Virgin, for whose birth we give thanks this day. Grant us, we beseech you, the grace to honor with our lives the Savior whom she bore, Christ our Lord. Amen. It is a better way to start a Friday, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim, Anna Mitchell has news, Paul Lachman at the controls, and up this hour, we got a lot to get to. It is Mary's birthday, because, uh, I don't know if you, you know, do the math on this, but September 8th is nine months after December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Mike Aquilina will talk about celebrating the Feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin. King Craycraft will look at the Pope's remarks on China. Father Hezekiah Carnazzo will preview the Sunday Mass readings. We'll also get more thoughts on what Dorothy Sayers had to say about education with Brendan Hodge from The Pillar. So, quite the variety of topics on a Friday. It's two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Hurricane Lee is now a Category 5 storm. The National Hurricane Center says rip currents and hazardous surf will spread across the Northern Caribbean today and will begin affecting the mainland U.S. by Sunday. Lee, which has been swirling in the Atlantic Ocean, is packing maximum sustained winds of roughly 160 miles per hour currently. Lee is about 700 miles east of the northern Leeward Islands. It's expected to remain a powerful storm well into next week. Pope Francis met yesterday with members of the Italian Biblical Association and participants in Italy's National Bible Week, saying the church needs the help, needs to help the faithful grow closer to God through his word. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. Dear friends, go forth. Go ahead in your mission to help God's people be nourished by the word of God so that the Bible may be increasingly the heritage of all. The Pope told those before him that their theme this year is close to his heart and a major concern of the church and thanked them for analyzing covenants which closely involve the church's relations with the contemporary world. Pope Francis pointed out that their meeting evoked another value which he wished to emphasize, that of working together in the service of the word. The Pope commended this being at the heart of a wide-ranging work of cooperation that the Bible Association offers on a permanent basis to the church in Italy. The Biblical Association, the Holy Father acknowledged, also works in collaboration with the Pontifical Biblical Institute at a decisive moment, the Pope said, for the reform of 
pontifical universities, where the alliance between academic institutions is not always easy. However, he continued for many of the association's members, the Pontifical Biblical Institute remains the alma mater that generated them to research and apostolate. This, the Pope said, offers an example of the synergy that urgently needs to be fostered in Rome and elsewhere between the various study institutions, not least to avoid running the risk of, of irreparable extinction. The Holy Father concluded by offering his support and imparting his apostolic blessing upon those present and asking them to pray for him. I'm Deborah Castellano Lubav. Escaped killer Donello Cavalcante remains on the run, eluding Pennsylvania police as well as federal authorities. He broke out of the Chester County prison about 25 miles west of Philadelphia last week. His escape came shortly after he was given a life sentence for murdering his ex-girlfriend. The U.S. bishops this week have sent a letter to the Department of Health and Human Services criticizing proposed federal rules aimed at addressing alleged discrimination against LGBT individuals in programs receiving HHS grants. The bishops said in the letter that the rules proposed earlier this summer could create conflicts with Catholic organizations who seek to follow church teaching. One of the U.S. Supreme Court justices has said he's hopeful action will be taken soon to address ethics issues. Brian Shook reports. Justice Brett Kavanaugh told an audience of judges and lawyers in Cleveland on Thursday the court is continuing to work on those issues. His comments come after recent reports of justices' travel with political donors. Kavanaugh added, we respect the institution and want that respect for the institution to be shared by the American people. In a speech in May, Chief Justice Roberts assured he is committed to ensuring the court adheres to the highest standards of conduct. I'm Brian Shook. General Motors is issuing its first counteroffer to the United Auto Workers in contract talks, and UAW President Sean Fain calls it, quote, insulting. GM appears to be open to ending the tiered wage system, but is proposing a 10% raise for hourly workers instead of the 46% UAW wants. The contract with the three Detroit automakers expires at 11.59 p.m. on September 14th, and Fain has threatened to strike all of them at once if needed. The Cincinnati Bengals are making their star quarterback the highest-paid player in NFL history. ESPN reports Joe Burrow has agreed to a five-year, $275 million contract extension to stay in the Queen City. More than $219 million is guaranteed. Los Angeles Chargers gunslinger Justin Herbert held the previous record for highest paid player in the league with a five-year $262.5 million contract. And the lawyer, the lawyers, <laughs> the Lions spoiled the Chiefs banner celebration at Arrowhead Stadium to kick off the NFL regular season last night. Jared Goff Threw for 253 yards and a touchdown as Detroit took down the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs 21-20. to 20. Okay, so first of all, I was a little shocked. Actually, I wasn't that shocked. I I mean, I feel like I even said it on the air that I felt good about the Lions here. Yeah. Um, But out of all the things that one could talk about in that game, I caught just a couple minutes in the car yesterday. 
mm-hmm. on my way back home from something. Mm-hmm. And I heard when uh, veteran wide receiver Marvin Jones fumbled the ball deep in Chiefs territory, and the Lions gave the ball back to the Chiefs, the stat that came out of that was wild. What was that? So Marvin Jones, who uh, was a Cincinnati Bengal, among others, mm-hmm. before becoming a Detroit Lion, he uh, it was the first fumble of his career. What? In his 12-year career, it was his first fumble. It came on his 563rd touch. He had the longest active no-fumble streak in the NFL. Marvin Jones, I'll grant you this one. Wow. That is... That's that's unreal. Put that man in the onside kick recovery team. Seriously. I'm sure he already is. He probably is. You're right. Anyway, wow. you talk about an impressive stat. For real, That's an man. impressive stat. That's Congratulations incredible. to our listeners on Ave Maria Radio this morning, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, today is Friday, September the 8th. It is the Feast of the Nativity of the Mother of God. More on that with Mike Aquilina a little bit later this hour. Right now? It's nine past. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Brendan Hodge. He is Darwin from the Darwin Catholic blog, author of If You Can Get It from Ignatius Press and a contributing editor to The Pillar. Brendan, good morning. Good morning. Great to be on with you. It is great to have you back. And you've written over at Darwin Catholic on an essay by Dorothy L. Sayers on classical education. Now, Dorothy Sayers, probably best known for her Lord... Peter Whimsey Mysteries. She translated The Divine Comedy by Dante, but wrote about a lot of things, including classical education. So first of all, give us a basic definition. What is classical education? So uh, Dorothy Sayers gave a talk in 1947 called The Lost Tools of Learning, and she describes classical education as being rooted in the way that Western culture has done education as it was formed in the ancient and medieval eras. Um, and then she roots that in the, um, the trivium and the quadrivium. So these were the areas of study that people studied in the ancient and medieval world. So can you talk about why she decided to, to talk about this, to write about this? What, why did she think that classical education was important? So she opens up with a set of concerns which in some ways sound very modern. She says that uh, as she looks around the world in 1947, that people in some ways are more educated than ever. They have access to more information than ever. And yet what have they done with that? But they've become more subject to propaganda, to rumor, and to being led astray by people who have a large media bullhorn. So she talked about the power of radio and of newspapers about the way that people have been able to stir people up and lead them into modern ideologies, and that a lot of people seem to have the ability to read and consume information, but no ability to really discern what is true and how we can measure the truth of something. Hmm. Ever ancient, ever new, I suppose, Brendan. I mean, we have new forms of of communication, of course, which make this uh, all the more urgent of an issue. So, Let's go back to what you were saying. You said there was a, how do you pronounce them? Quadvivium and divivium, trivivium, is that right? What are these uh, she things? She talks about the trivium and the quadrivium, which okay. is simply sort of the three subjects and the four subjects. Oh, okay. And, so what are uh, they? This was, so this was the breakdown of the medieval curriculum 
the trivium were the three basic subjects which kind of prepared you to learn everything else. And these were uh, grammar, uh, dialectic, and rhetoric. And dialectic you could think of as being uh, basically logic uh, or logic with a little bit of sort of how to make an argument or debate combined in there. And then quadrivium were the more advanced subjects that people studied once they'd mastered those basic three. And those were arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. Interesting. So is there any, um, is there, there any sort of underlying uh, basis for why those would be the most important subjects for children to, to really master? Well, what Sayers does is she, ta- she focuses really on that trivium, those basic three subjects, because the way that she talks about it is that these are the subjects that people studied prior to going to university, and then when you went to university, you specialized in these deeper subjects. And what she says is that sort of the, the basic foundation, obviously, for learning is uh, learning to read and write and then learning uh, the, sort of to cipher, as she puts it, so just the basics of uh, arithmetic. But that uh, when we think about grammar, dialectic, and rhetoric, we should think of these as three modes of learning. So grammar is kind of the building blocks of a subject, the way that uh, the, the basic pieces that you would use to put something together. So she talks about in history, the building blocks for a child might be famous people, um, eras, dates, kind of the key things will help them put things together. Uh, dialectic or rhetoric is the way that those things fit together. So it's starting to put together the logic of how these building blocks go together into a structure and how we can understand the way that they interact and what they mean together. And then rhetoric is when you take those those building blocks and the way they fit together and you use them to say something persuasive and logical to someone else, to make an argument about what the past means or what science means or what mathematics means. When you take these pieces and you express yourself by putting them together in a logical way. And to kind of illustrate why these are are important to master rather than, you know, like the information in, information out, teaching to the test kind of method that a lot of us experienced uh, going through um, our, our early schooling years. You offer an example in here about learning to code. Can you explain? Yeah, so my background is that I was a classics major, so I studied Greek and Latin in college, but I I now work uh, in programming and computers and data science. And so I I talked about how uh, this breakdown really applies to how you learn almost anything. So the grammar, say, of learning to code is learning the basic functions and subroutines, the key terms that you need to use in a coding language. The, the um, dialectic or uh, logic phase is understanding how those functions operate together so that the structure of how you can put together a, um, a, a function or a subroutine out of those pieces. And then uh, the uh, re- rhetoric stage is being able to actually take those basic building blocks and the way that they fit together and then look at some creative project that you need to achieve and you need to get done and put them together in a new and unique way, which is yours, in order to achieve that goal. And if you think about it in that basic way, that's really how we learn and attack almost anything in life. Yeah, absolutely. DarwinCatholic.blogspot.com is where you can go to get it. Brendan Hodge, thank you so much. Thank you. 
You bet. All right. It is coming up on 16 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. The first annual Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, sponsored by the Dominican Friars Foundation, will take place on Saturday, September 30th at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. This all-day event will feature conferences by Father Gregory Pine, resuscitation of the rosary, a fervorino by Father Lawrence Liu, and mass with Father James Brent as homilist. Join us for this day of prayer to Our Lady. For more information, visit rosarypilgrimage.org. That's rosarypilgrimage.org. Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. To ask, why should I pray, is the same as asking, why should I raise my mind and heart to God, since that's what prayer is. But when stated like that, it's pretty obvious. We need to pray because God is He to whom our minds and hearts are ultimately directed. Union with Him is our ultimate destiny. Without prayer, we lose our direction to God as our ultimate end, and thus set ourselves on a path that leads back into the slavery of sin. 18 past, here's Anna with headlines. Hurricane Lee is now a Category 5 storm about 700 miles east of the northern Leeward Islands currently. The U.S. bishops are calling for humanitarian aid for Armenian Christians who are trapped by Azerbaijan in disputed territory. And a new discovery at the Pontifical Biblical Institute is shining light on the church's protection of Jews during the Nazi occupation of Rome. We're going to be talking more about a family that protected Jews. They're getting beatified uh, all all together on Sunday. So, uh, and actually in our local hour, we'll have a conversation that hopefully we'll share early next week about a new book uh, on their story. Uh, But today is Mary's birthday. We're going to talk more about that um, this hour with Mike Aquilina, next hour with Chris McGregor. But buried on the calendar, way on down, several lines below the Blessed Virgin Mary if you go looking is Thomas of Villanova, St. Mm-hmm. Thomas of Villanova. And uh, pretty fascinating guy for a number of reasons. Uh, he's a Franciscan. Uh, he was a person who uh, actually joined the Augustinians and you know gave all his money away to the poor. He was very good in, uh, I mean, he kind of embarrassed some of his friends by how much of his stuff he gave away. But uh, he had this quote that I ran across this morning that sort of, you ever run across a saint quote that sort of takes your breath away? You're like, yeah. whoa. Uh, well, so this is this is a great one to head into the weekend. And, you know, who knows what kind of needs you may encounter over the course of the weekend, what needs you may have already encountered this week. But here's what Thomas of Villanova says. He says, if you wish God to anticipate your wants, provide those of the needy 
without waiting for them to ask you. Mm. Especially anticipate the needs of those who are ashamed to beg. To make them ask for alms is to make them buy it. Whoa. <laughs> wow. So, uh, that's the challenge. At least uh, I feel challenged. To look around and see who needs something but would not be willing to ask for it. Maybe ashamed to ask for help. Well, and you know what? That's really interesting in light of... I, I think about this now ever since um, coming across so many church father quotes during Lent about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and how many look at almsgiving and can substitute the word mercy, which I think is really interesting in light of the readings that we're going to be discussing for Mass this weekend. Um, yeah. So you can think about it in terms of material support, but also in terms of forgiveness. And back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. Pray with me now the praises of Mary by St. Anthony of Padua. The praises of Mary. Oh, how wondrous is the dignity of the glorious Virgin. She merited to become the mother of him who is the strength and beauty of the angels and the grandeur of all the saints. Mary was the seat of our sanctification, that is to say, the dwelling place of the Son who sacrificed himself for us. And I shall glorify the place where my feet have stood. The feet of the Savior signify his human nature. The place where the feet of the Savior stood was the Blessed Virgin Mary, who gave him his human nature. Today the Lord glorifies that place, since he has exalted Mary above the choirs of the angels. That is to say, the Blessed Virgin, who was the dwelling of the Savior, has been assumed bodily into heaven. Amen. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Mike Aquilina from FathersOfTheChurch.com. Mike, good morning. Morning, Matt. So, anybody who pays attention knows that it's kind of interesting that the Annunciation happens on March 25th. Count forward nine months, you got Christmas on December 25th. Same thing works with the Immaculate Conception on December 8th and Mary's birthday. It does. It does. And, you know, these... These are feasts that have been celebrated here and there since ancient times, you know. So, so there's something to the dates. You know, it's, it's, it's not church dogma that these are the dates when the events took place, but, but, you know, when you see how ancient the observances are, it's pretty impressive. And the, um, and the accounts of, um, of extraordinary events 
surrounding Mary's birth and the end of her days uh, are, are are also of a of a very early early time. You know, they're attested from the the first second century of the church, um, and uh, and and so so it's a curious thing um, when we get into. The real history of Christianity, we see that the Blessed Virgin had a singular place from the founding, from the beginning, from the earliest days. You know, for a long time, historians refused to see the evidence of that, and it's only, I'd say, in the last... 30 years, maybe 40 years, that secular historians and non, other non-Catholic historians are beginning to see the evidence, put it together, and recognize and, 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 and even give a certain respect to um, the Marian devotion of the earliest Christians. None of the Gospel accounts record the Nativity of Mary. There right. are some things that record the Nativity of Mary, but they didn't make it into the canon of Scripture. So where do we learn about any of the circumstances involving, involving the birth of Mary? Well, one of the earliest bestsellers in the Church is a book called uh, The Birth of Mary. Uh, we know it today as the Proto-Evangelium of James, uh, but that's a, that's a title that's, that's given to it in the modern times. By modern, I mean the last 500 years. Uh, but uh, but in the earliest times, it was known simply as as the birth of Mary, and uh, and it's it's a it's um it's actually a book that that covers the entire life of Mary from from the time of her conception forward, and it tells tells us the story of her parents, Joachim and Anne, and uh, and and again the extraordinary circumstances of her conception and birth. So, so I mean, that's coming to us from 150, and it seems to incorporate many traditions that were already established in the Church, because we find these hit-and-run references to Marian devotion in some of the earlier fathers, like Ignatius of Antioch, who's writing in 107 AD. We also find other, other references to, to Marian traditions in, uh, in documents like the Ascension of Isaiah, which comes from 70 AD. So these are going back a ways. And they seem to find a more final expression in this, in this, in this book that came out, um, the, uh, the Birth of Mary, from, from about 150 A.D. So again, we're talking about a point that's very early on the Christian timeline. You know, I find it interesting that the Church accepts the canonicity of the Gospels, but not the Proto-Evangelium of James, while popular tabloid historians like Dan Brown and others accept the canonicity of the Proto-Evangelium of James, but not the Gospels. Yes, yes. Well, you know, I, 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 I don't think that the, the Proto-Evangelium is valuable as a strict historical account, the way the Gospels are. It, you know, there, there, there is the, the ring of the credulous about it, and some of the, some of the details in it um, are, are really just in poor taste. They don't seem to have the same, the same feeling, the same sense as, um, as the canonical Gospels. But, what they do is they preserve for us uh, an account of the devotion to the Blessed Virgin at that very early time in Christian history. So there, it's a window onto that world. I believe also that they preserve certain traditions that would otherwise be lost. And I'm not talking even about Christian traditions, but Jewish traditions as well, because so many of the small details um, 
that are in there about the Blessed Virgin's childhood were later confirmed by archaeology, by what we found in the uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. These accounts of of, um, of traditions and customs that were there in the Blessed Virgin's family, you know, many people just dismissed them as kind of Christian interpolations. Uh, into into uh, an account of of Jewish life in that time, but they were vindicated when when uh, when we found when we found other documents that seem to attest to the same things. Um, for example, uh, this idea that the Blessed Virgin was was part of a group of girls who lived in the temple and and um, and and fashioned the, the curtains for the temple, made the cloth for the curtains of the temple. These were sacred objects, and they had to be pro- produced by people who were ritually pure. So young girls qualified, and they did this throughout their childhood. Well, that's been attested in other places now. We find corroboration for that in, in other Jewish documents. So some of these traditions may be much more ancient even than 150 A.D., well, you mentioned as reliable historical accounts, not so much. But there are certain details that get passed down, even in legends, that are reliable. So, for instance, when it comes to Davy Crockett, Mike, you can either look at the John Wayne version in the Alamo, you can look at Fess Parker's portrayal of Davy in the Disney version, or you can listen to the song, The Ballad of Davy Crockett. All of those <laughs> are going to be built on stuff that is not Davy Crockett canon, let's just say. But at least we know that he was born on a mountaintop in Tennessee. That's right. That's right. There are those details that are reliable, and and there are other details that that really do um, cause us to look elsewhere and 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 look for corroboration. Well, maybe this could be true, and uh, and 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 sometimes, as I said before, uh, these these strange accounts are vindicated by later archaeology. Well, Mike, there are so many other things to be said about the birth of Our Lady and the way that the Church has kind of understood uh, the importance of marking it at all. Uh, but if our listeners want to connect with you and learn more about the early Church through your various writings, what's a good what's a good place to go? Fathersofthechurch.com Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com Sorry for getting Davy Crockett stuck in your head on a Friday. Half past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The U.S. bishops are calling for humanitarian aid for hum- for Armenian Christians who are trapped by Azerbaijan in the disputed territory of Nagorno-Karabakh, also known as Artsakh. Azerbaijan has for nine months blocked the only corridor to that region, and the Christians there are facing dire shortages of food, medicine, and basic supplies to sustain life. Armenian Bishop Mikhail Moradian told the Sunrise Morning Show last week that the people are starving and pregnant women are suffering miscarriages. The first death from starvation happened recently. Bishop David Malloy, who chairs the U.S. Bishops Committee on International Justice and Peace, said in a statement, quote, with the continued impasse of this conflict and the mounting consequences of this blockade, let us all be of one mind and one accord in our prayers for those suffering from this conflict to see this impending humanitarian catastrophe averted, and to see this conflict ultimately resolved through peaceful means, end quote. Hurricane Lee is now a Category 5 storm. Mark Mayfield has more. The National Hurricane Center says rip currents and hazardous surf will spread across the northern Caribbean on Friday and begin affecting the U.S. mainland by Sunday. 
Lee, which has been swirling in the Atlantic Ocean, is packing maximum winds of roughly 160 miles per hour. Lee is about 700 miles east of the northern Leeward Islands. It is expected to remain powerful well into next week. I'm Mark Mayfield. A Fulton County special grand jury report related to former President Trump's Georgia election interference case is set to be released today. It's the result of an investigation into alleged efforts by Trump and others to overturn the state's 2020 election results. There are a total of 19 defendants in the case, including the former president. A judge plans to release the report at 10 a.m. Eastern. A federal appeals court is putting a hold on a judge's order requiring Texas Governor Greg Abbott to remove a floating barrier from the Rio Grande River. The barrier was installed to stop illegal migrant crossings. The order was issued by a three-judge panel just a day after U.S. District Judge David Ezra ordered for the barrier to be removed by September 15th. A new discovery at the Pontifical Biblical Institute is shining light on the church's protection of Jews during the Nazi occupation of Rome. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The never-before-seen documents were unearthed in the archives of the Biblicum as part of extensive research conducted by a team of historians, marking a significant breakthrough in understanding efforts to protect Jews during World War II. The historic find consists of a list of 100 women's and 55 men's religious congregations which provided refuge, along with the precise numbers of people accommodated within these institutions. The newly rediscovered documents reveal the stories of more than 4,300 individuals, with 3,600 of them identified by name. The discovery shows that 3,200 of the individuals can be conclusively identified as Jews, including details about their hiding places and their lives before the persecutions. This newfound treasure trove of information significantly enriches the understanding of the role played by Catholic institutions in safeguarding Jewish lives during a time of immense peril. Out of respect for privacy concerns, access to the complete documentation is currently restricted. However, it was unveiled at a workshop held at the Shoah Museum in Rome, offering a glimpse into the untold stories hidden within its pages. The documentation itself was meticulously compiled by Italian Jesuit Father Gozzolino Birolo between June 1944 and the spring of 1945, following the liberation of Rome by the Allied forces. During the period of Nazi occupation of Rome from September 1943 until the city's liberation in June 1944, the Jewish community endured horrific persecution. Tragically, nearly 2,000 people, including hundreds of children and adolescents, were deported and killed during this dark time. I'm Devin Watkins. Pope Francis met yesterday with members of the Italian Biblical Association and participants in Italy's National Bible Week, saying to them that the church needs to help the faithful grow closer to God through his word. The Holy Father said, quote, Dear friends, go forth, go ahead in your mission to help God's people be nourished by the word so that the Bible may be increasingly the heritage of all, end quote. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. 
You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. Certainly nothing can so effectively humble us before God's mercy as the multitude of his benefits, and nothing can so deeply humble us before his justice as the great number of our sins. Let us consider often what he has done for us. There is no need to fear that knowledge of his gifts will make us proud. A lively consideration of graces received makes us humble, because knowledge of them begets gratitude for them. Christian piety always has only one object, God. However, it suggests various ways of serving Him, so in whatever state we live, we can please God. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. And we are happy to have you along with us on this birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, the Theotokos. Pray for us. Sunrise Morning Show legal and political analyst Ken Craycraft back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show Professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary, writes for the Catholic Telegraph and our Sunday Visitor, among other publications. Ken, good morning. Good morning, Annie. Nice to be with you again. It is nice to have you back. And I'm thinking perhaps the most memorable quote from Pope Francis during his visit to Mongolia was when he was flanked by two bishops from Hong Kong and greeted Chinese Catholics. He said to them, be good Christians and good citizens. Ken, how did that get you thinking about St. Paul? Well, it got me thinking about St. Paul because we, we know very well that China has a dismal record on civil rights, and especially civil rights as they relate to religion, and not, not just to Catholics. Uh, the documentation of their persecution of Muslim groups and other ethnic religious groups is well documented, and, and we, we have to take that seriously. And so when the when the Pope says to be good citizens, uh, the immediate uh, impulse is probably to scratch one's head and say, well, wait a minute, China is awful on human rights and especially religious liberty. But I thought of St. Paul because St. Paul said something extremely similar to the Romans uh, in uh, chapter 13 of his letter to the Romans. In fact, he said pretty much the same thing, be good citizens. He went further and said, be obedient to the authorities. Uh, and Rome's record on religious persecution was not unlike China's today. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking as as uh, as the Pope spoke and thinking about St. Paul, what does it mean to be a good citizen in a bad regime, uh, number one? And then what is it that 
uh, the Pope is trying to tell uh, Chinese Christians. And, and it got me thinking, I, I wrote about it, of course, for an article that's going to go up in our Sunday Visitor later today. But it, it gives us some fruit for thought about the relationship of citizenship to uh, governments, even bad governments. Well, you quote St. Augustine quite often when he said an unjust law is a bad law or no, no law, law at all. all. So how does yeah. a Chinese Catholic square that with with St. Paul? Yeah, that's a, and that is exactly the question to ask, because um, because China obviously has some very bad laws, especially as it has to do with religious faith and practice. I think what you have to do is think about government as a continuum. That is good, good to bad governments as a continuum. There isn't any government that's perfect. There isn't any government that does every, every single thing wrong or does every single thing in such a way that it causes a person to have to commit injustice. There are mixtures uh, along that continuum. Some do very little right. Some do much more uh, right than, than wrong. What what Paul suggested, and I think the way that we have to think about it in terms of the St. Augustine quote, is that while a, a bad law is no law at all, that doesn't mean that the good laws of the bad regime are not still due our obedience and service. Um, St. Paul, at the end of that passage in Romans 13, said something very uh, uh, very interesting that I think is often mislooked when we look at that passage, that, uh, that passage in Romans 13. He says at the end of, of the passage about obeying uh, government, he says, be subject not only because of, of the wrath, but also because of conscience. And then he says, pay to all their dues, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. And I think to, there are two things that we can draw from that. First of all, that we are to be obedient because of conscience. That is, we're to be obedient because being obedient is being good, being a good civic citizen when the law allows us to be obedient, of course. Being obedient to a law that is not a law, especially if that law causes us to have to do something that is contrary to the will of God, is not being a good citizen because we're being a false witness to the truth. And we all know that. But the second thing is when he says, pay to all their dues, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. What St. Paul is saying is that, that not, not every government is due respect or honor in every aspect of that government's actions. Where, the, where respect is due, pay respect. Where it's not due, then you have an obligation either to uh, 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 be, be in opposition to that law, protest is the word I want, protest that law, or if necessary, even to uh, disobey that law. Uh, and of course, one has to exercise prudence in that because one is not necessarily required to disobey every bad law especially if the bad law does not itself require us to do something that is in disobedience to God. So, so I, think Saint, I think Pope Francis was trying to walk a very fine line here for the purposes of encouraging Chinese Christians, but also telling us, of giving us a broader lesson about our relationship to governments and to laws. And I think we have to make that distinction because uh, law is not the same as government, and governments make uh, all kinds of laws, some good, some bad, some better, some worse. And the uh, acute uh, Christian is going to be uh, aware of how to try to discern between them and to do the just thing, to pay honor to whom honor is due and, 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 and not to whom it's not due. Well, and certainly we know that there's stuff that's going on behind the scenes when it comes to the Vatican and China. Honestly, we don't 
really know much of of what that is beyond what Pope Francis has revealed. You know, there's some sort of longstanding commission, as he said, um, to agree on the appointment of bishops. But the question is, what is Pope Francis getting at with this exhortation? Yeah, and I think there's. I think that he's being um, uh, sly as a fox in some ways. At mm. least I hope he is. That's that's the best. That's that's my optimistic view of this. Let me say, I, I don't want to minimize the atrocities of China's persecution of Christians and other people, and I don't want the the listeners to think that I'm in any way excusing or apologizing for China's uh, human rights uh, uh, violations. But I think that there are things going on that we don't see and that we don't know about that uh, the Pope Francis is trying to do to alleviate the pressure on Christians and to make life better for them. Uh, I quote in the piece, um, I, I quote a woman who was there who was quoted in another news source uh, who came to Mongolia from China to attend the mass. And she said it pains her to hold up the Chinese flag because of Chinese persecution. But on the other hand, she holds it up because she wants the Pope to know we're here. And what the Pope is saying, I know you're there. I know that things are not good for you, but I'm working to make things better the best I can. And even this commission, I know that it gets a lot of criticism. Uh Uh-oh. Ken, I think... And I think we're losing you here. Try that again. Uh, you were you were just about to make a comment about this commission. Yeah, it, people criticize the commission because it seems to be allowing China to make decisions about who the bishops are. But you have to take th- things stepwise in some in some ways. And rather than to make things worse than China by completely abdicating, the uh, the Pope Francis is trying to work with China to at least have a say in who the bishops are rather than completely giving it over to China. Is that the best scenario? Of course it's not, but it's better than completely abandoning China to uh, Chinese Catholics, to the Chinese government so that the church is not involved at all. So I think Pope Francis is sending a lot of signals. I think some of them, I think most of the signals are positive. And I think he's giving at least some hope of hope and comfort to Chinese Catholics so they know he's working for them. And in the meantime, uh, they need to take hope in the obviously in the hope of resurrection, but also in the hope of taking pressure off of their own religious lives as he tries to work behind the scenes to make things better for them and to make their lives uh, more compatible with uh, religious freedom and, and practice. Well, and I feel like his choice to go to Mongolia itself um, so. is an indicator of that. This country that is sandwiched between China and Russia uh, two Which places. only has 1,500 Catholics. Right. This play, I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like he was trying to get as close to both of those uh, countries without actually moving into them where he's clearly not yeah. welcome, at least not not yet. So I think that's right, Annie. It's going to be very interesting to see what, what happens in, in future years. Of course, the church always thinking in centuries and not just in the <laughs> uh, the, the, the hot the hot take of the moment. So, um, yeah, appreciate your thoughts, Ken. And again, you can read his piece on this a little later today over at our Sunday Visitor. Ken, thank you. Thank you, Annie. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. All right. It's uh, 13 till Father Hezekiah Carnazzo joins us next. Support is from TBN. Weaving its way through the heart of the Holy Land is a well-worn path that once felt the footsteps of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, and Jesus. 
Host David Friedman and Mike Pompeo take a sacred journey of hope along Route 60, the biblical highway. Experience the land of the Bible as you've never seen it. In theaters September 18th and 19th, Route 60, the biblical highway. Information at Route60.movie. That's Route60.movie. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for Wings, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the Wings link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your Wings today. This is Dr. David Anders. Are your friends or family discouraging you from becoming Catholic? We can help on Called to Communion this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture here to preview the readings for Mass on Sunday. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Annie. It's a blessing to be with you and your listeners today. It is a blessing to have you back. And uh, for the first reading this weekend, it's from the book of the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 33. And I'm just going to read the first couple of lines here. Thus says the Lord, you son of man, I have appointed watchmen for the house of Israel. When you hear me say anything, you shall warn them for me. Father, what is he supposed to be warning the people about? Well, during the life of Ezekiel, God's people are in exile in Babylon, especially here in chapter 33. The full exile has taken place. Jerusalem has been burned. The people of God are are in Babylon. They're exiled. At this point in in the Old Testament reading, in the prophecy of Ezekiel, God is beginning to prepare his people for restoration. But in order to do that, the people have to get their, themselves right with the Lord. He's not going to just go in and act in their life, force them to return to Jerusalem, force them to sacrifice. And so forth. No, it's an invitation. So Ezekiel, the prophet, is being called by God to be a conduit of God's voice. And I think that's really the theme that we're getting here in the, in the readings that the Church gives us this Sunday. Really, we're kind of at the end of the post-Pentecost season now. And the Church has gone out to proclaim the word and I believe that, that the Church in her wisdom is encouraging us, just like the prophet Ezekiel, just like last week's Old Testament reading, by the way, Jeremiah, to have courage in the midst of a people that is, say, not exactly following the Lord. And then to have courage to be a conduit of God's voice, 
sue his people that we should repent, get our hearts right, so that the Lord can act in a mighty way in our presence. And this, this, this reading is very powerful, because it says to Ezekiel, look, if you don't speak out, if you don't call them to repentance like I'm telling you to, then I'm going to require their sin of you, if you will. Right? You're going to be punished for what they've done and what you've failed to do, because you allowed them to do it. That's the role of the overseer of God's people. He is to not just look out for his own well-being, because as Jeremiah last week got thrown into the stocks, he got himself, in, and Ezekiel's going to uh, get rejected by the people. But he has to have courage to go out and proclaim the truths of the Lord to a people that are a wayward people, a people that need to repent so that God might act in their midst. Well, the responsorial psalm is meant to be sort of a, an expression in in a way of, of what we hear proclaimed in the first reading. And the response with Psalm 95 this weekend is, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So how does that fit in with what we're, yeah. we're hearing in Ezekiel? Well, as the, as the psalm continues, come, let us sing joyfully to the Lord. Let us acclaim the rock of our salvation. The church is saying, hey, Look, God, you know what God has done in your life. You know what He requires of you now as a member of the body of Christ to be a, a missionary and an advocate um, to acclaim the rock of our salvation, as the psalm says. Have courage to do it. Don't close your ears to what the Lord's calling you to do. Don't refuse to be a, a participant in His salvific work. God is calling you into this ministry of salvation to go to your brother and to help bring him back to the body of Christ. But that takes courage. We're going out into our workplace, maybe with our families. This is not easy stuff to go to my brother and tell him, hey, you've got to get your right, yourself right with the Lord. That takes courage. And the Church is encouraging us today in this evangelical period, in this post-Pentecost season, that even in the midst of persecution, we must realize this is our identity now, to proclaim the Lord as the rock of our salvation, the salvation of the entire world. Well, and in the Gospel, Jesus even brings it to a, a higher level, to, to like God's level, I guess you could say here in, in Matthew chapter 18, because it's not like a one-and-done thing, is it, Father, to be like, well, hey, you're sinning, and then if they don't care or ignore you or persecute you or whatever, you don't just leave it at that one time. No, in the Gospel, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, great, you've won over a brother. But if he refuses to listen, then two of you should go to him, and so forth. The Gospel continues. And again, in light of the, the Old Testament prophecy of Ezekiel, we have to have courage to do this. And, and this is very important. We are put in each other's lives, not as judge, jury, and executioner, but as a physician in the image and likeness of the heavenly physician. If another sins, first of all, we shouldn't be surprised. Isn't this how we often act, Annie, with our spouse or with our co-workers? Oh, I can't believe you did that. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, you're filled. This guy's filled with pride. Oh, he's just... Are you surprised when your brother sins? Do you think he was immaculately conceived? No. He's imperfect. He's a sinner. And you've been put in his life that you might, first of all, recognize the other in their, in their weakness, and then consider how you might bring about their salvation. That's your role. That's your job. 
So don't be surprised when, when another in your life doesn't fulfill every expectation of what you think he should do. We're living in a fallen world, but Jesus has come to save us, and he's invited you and I, much like Ezekiel, to participate in that salvific work in the healing of our brother and sister. And I'm so glad you put it that way, Father, because I mean, as we look at the epistle for this weekend from Romans 13, brothers and sisters owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. The way that we correct someone is really important, isn't it, in, in terms of being able to discern what is best to bring about repentance? Yeah, love is, is always the giving of my life to the other. And in that moment, I give the other everything they need to become what God wants them to be. That's ultimately, as, as Pope Francis said, mercy is love in action. It's, it's the going out to the other in their weakness, in their imperfection, and loving them into perfection. And that's what we're called to as Christians. And, and we're, it's not always received, is it, Danny? It's oftentimes rejected. We're oftentimes thrown into the stocks like Jeremiah or thrown into the pit. You know, this happens. Yes, we're rejected oftentimes for our identity as Christians. We have to have courage to tell the other the truth in love, in charity, for the sake of their growth in the Lord. We've been talking to Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. And Father, if listeners want to connect with you, check out what's going on over at the Institute. How do they find you? Instituteofcatholicculture.org. We're about to launch our new curriculum year. Father Spitzer's coming to speak. Instituteofcatholicculture.org. Everything is offered free of charge. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Got another hour coming up next on EWTN. Subscribe. Continue on this Friday. It is the eighth day of the month of September, Mary's birthday. And uh, let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Memorare. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee, and happy birthday. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Glad that you're with us here on a Friday morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but whenever you get a short week, you're like, oh, cool, we got Monday off. And then Tuesday through Friday, you're just like, ah, this week got crazy. Cramming five days of stuff into four days. But here we are. It's Friday. You made it. Well, you almost made it. You can make it. I believe in you. Father Robert Nixon's going to be along here in just a little bit, and he has been going through his book, The Crown of the Virgin. Uh, something he translated from St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. Chris McGregor will look at Mary's birthday through the eyes of Andrew of Crete. Uh, Bobby Schindler will be along from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, and we will preview the Sunday Mass readings 
with Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston. Hope you can stay with us on a Friday morning. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. News of service of Bridgetown Finer Meats and BridgetownFinerMeats.com, as well as Central Fabricators and CentralFabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. One month after a blindingly fast wildfire destroyed the historic town of Lahaina on the Hawaiian island of Maui, nearly 400 people are still missing. Teams of rescuers, cadaver dogs, and anthropologists trained to detect fragments of human remains have searched nearly all of Lahaina. The official death toll has stood at 115 for more than two weeks, and 385 people are listed as missing. Hurricane Lee is now a Category 5 storm. The National Hurricane Center says rip currents and hazardous surf will spread across the Northern Caribbean today and begin affecting the U.S. mainland by Sunday. Lee, which has been swirling in the Atlantic, is is packing maximum sustained winds of roughly 160 miles per hour. Lee is about 700 miles east of the northern Leeward Islands, expected to remain powerful well into next week. Pope Francis met yesterday with members of the Italian Biblical Association and participants in Italy's National Bible Week, saying to them that the church needs to help the faithful grow closer to God through his word. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. Dear friends, go forth. Go ahead in your mission to help God's people be nourished by the word of God so that the Bible may be increasingly the heritage of all. The Pope told those before him that their theme this year is close to his heart and a major concern of the church and thanked them for analyzing covenants which closely involve the church's relations with the contemporary world. Pope Francis pointed out that their meeting evoked another value which he wished to emphasize, that of working together in the service of the word. The Pope commended this being at the heart of a wide-ranging work of cooperation that the Bible Association offers on a permanent basis to the church in Italy. The Biblical Association, the Holy Father acknowledged, also works in collaboration with the Pontifical Biblical Institute at a decisive moment, the Pope said, for the reform of pontifical universities, where the alliance between academic institutions is not always easy. However, he continued, for many of the association's members, the Pontifical Biblical Institute remains the alma mater that generated them to research and apostolate. This, the Pope said, offers an example of the synergy that urgently needs to be fostered in Rome and elsewhere between the various study institutions, not least to avoid running the risk of of irreparable extinction. The Holy Father concluded by offering his support and imparting his apostolic blessing upon those present and asking them to pray for him. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. The U.S. bishops this week have sent a letter to the Department of Health and Human Services criticizing federal rules aimed at addressing alleged discrimination against LGBT individuals in programs that receive HHS grants. The bishops said in their letter that the rules proposed earlier this summer could create conflicts with Catholic organizations like Catholic charities who seek to follow church teaching. General Motors is issuing its first counteroffer to the United Auto Workers and contract talks, which UAW President Sean Fain called, quote, insulting. 
GM appears to be open open to ending the tiered wage system, but is proposing a 10% raise for hourly workers instead of the 46% the UAW wants. The contract with the three Detroit automakers expires at 11.59 p.m. on September 14th, and Fain has threatened to strike all of them at once if needed. One of the U.S. Supreme Court justices says he's hopeful action will be taken soon to address ethics issues. Brian Shook reports. Justice Brett Kavanaugh told an audience of judges and lawyers in Cleveland on Thursday the court is continuing to work on those issues. His comments come after recent reports of justices' travel with political donors. Kavanaugh added, we respect the institution and want that respect for the institution to be shared by the American people. In a speech in May, Chief Justice Roberts assured he is committed to ensuring the court adheres to the highest standards of conduct. I'm Brian Shook. The Lions spoiled the Chiefs' banner celebration at Arrowhead Stadium to kick off the NFL regular season last night. Jared Goff threw for 253 yards and one touchdown as Detroit took down the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs 21-20. And the college football season rolls on this weekend. Third-ranked Alabama is set to play host to number 10 Texas. Tomorrow night in Tuscaloosa, the Crimson Tide kicked a game-winning field goal with 10 seconds left to defeat the Longhorns 20-19 in Austin last season. In other top 25 head-to-head action, number 20 Ole Miss will go on the road to take on 22nd-ranked Tulane in the Big Easy. Elsewhere on the slate, Deion Sanders and his 25th-ranked Colorado Buffaloes, who upset and kicked TCU out of the top 25 last week. We'll host the Nebraska Cornhuskers tomorrow. Well, let's see how it all goes. Things are getting real. No, they're not. It's week two. Well, but bear in mind, for all those top 25 teams, all you have to do is lose one game. And unless you were like a top 10, I mean, any of those people from 11 to 25 lose one game, and who knows? Well, I mean, that's true, but... I don't remember what. Which, the by the way, those of you listening were... in Kansas City who are waking up this morning very upset uh, that your Travis Kelseyless Chiefs went down in a home opener, I'm pretty sure the Chiefs are going to figure it out. They you don't have that much to worry about. Of course they will. Today is Friday, September the 8th. It is the feast of the Nativity of the Mother of God pray for us. More on that in just a little bit. Right now, it's nine past. Happy to welcome back to the show Father Robert Nixon. He's a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia, translator of the Tan Resurrection series. We've been going through one of those, Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. Father, welcome back. Thank you very much. Good morning to you, Annie. It's good to have you. And we are up to the 17th place in the crown imagined by St. Ildefonsus. And in it, he places the amethyst crystal. So could you describe an amethyst to us and and give us some insight as to why St. Ildefonsus would choose this one for the crown? Absolutely. So an amethyst is a, a variety of gemstone. It's actually a type of quartz, but... What characterizes it is um, that it has this wonderful kind of slightly purplish, although purple is probably not quite the right word for it, but a very unique um, color along that scale. 
And Ildefonsus focuses in on that colour and he, he identifies that colour as being a combination of the hues of the violet and of the rose. And he, he believes this perfectly fits the Blessed Virgin Mary because the violet represents the virtue of humility and the rose represents the fervour of her great love. And he, um, he believes that she combines these two, these two virtues, uh, the virtue of humility and of love, to the most excellent degree. And it was this unique combination which God chose her um, out of all of the women who have existed throughout the history of the world to be the mother of his unique, only begotten son. And he speaks about this very beautifully. He says, The amethyst combines in its enchanting hue the colors of both the violet and the rose. And for this wondrous mixture, it is fittingly placed in your noble diadem. For you, indeed, combine the fragrance and beauty of the delicate violet with that of the splendid rose. In the violet is your humility commended, while the rose bespeaks of your marvelous love. For out of humility you declared yourself to be the lowly handmaid of the Lord. And for the sake of fervid love, he gave to you the most sublime glory and honor. It is really beautiful. So I think that really expresses um, the, his, the, the choice that he's made here and what symbolizes by this unique combination of these two colors corresponding to the unique combination of humility and love in the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, and I think that that combination is, is so important, that that what, is what made her truly great. Um, and I think we, we each should strive to imitate her in cultivating, consciously cultivating the virtue of humility, um, which is a virtue which is often overlooked today, as well as um, always being on fire with love for God, for Jesus, and for his blessed mother. Yeah, for sure. Um, he, one thing that strikes me in all of these chapters that we've been going through in The Crown of the Virgin are these sort of like, I guess you could call them sort of like litanies of these titles that that he gives to her throughout uh, these chapters. And at the very beginning of, of this particular chapter, um, he says, you yourself are the greatest teacher and example of virtue, the rule of the cloister, the word of peace, the sword of the spirit and the shield of holy victory. I want to ask you about one of those, the rule of yeah. the cloister. What does that mean? Yes, they, I'm, I'm glad you asked me about that, Eddie, because um, the cloister, of course, is referring to to the monastic enclosure, either of a monastery or a convent, which the cloister is the, the part which is which the monks and nuns normally remain within. And Mary is traditionally seen as a great model of the monastic life and of the contemplative life. And we know that her own um, life was one of great simplicity, that she was dedicated uh, to prayer, to simplicity of life, and that she was quite content to live, um, live a, a domestic life that you know, we can imagine that, that 99% of her life was lived within, within the house um, so that she was not a person, you know, going out there all the time and being involved in things in the world. But, but her, her focus was, was her own household, the Holy Family, and in particular because she knew that uh, Jesus, that God was right there with her. And this is something which, which monks um, 
and nuns, of course, also try to, to emulate in our own lives that we don't need to travel to the ends of the world to find God because God is right here with us wherever we are. And so I think uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, with her love of contemplation, her humility, um, her obedience to the will of God, uh, is such a wonderful example, not only for monks and nuns, but also, I think, for for Catholics in general, um, that these are virtues which transfer to whatever state of life a person is in. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to ask you about the the rest of this, too, because... He calls her the word of peace, but then he calls her the sword of the spirit and the shield of holy victory. I mean, you have this this yeah. image of peace, but then these two images of war. Yeah, and I, and I think it's wonderful that these um, are put together because we, you know, when we think about the Virgin Mary, we think often about only about her gentleness, her humility, which of course is 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 perfect and wonderful. But then we should also remember that it was she who crushed the head of Satan. Um, It's she who puts to flight devils by her her strength and the magnificence of her virtue, so that she she also, despite her humility, um, was a tremendously strong character, that she was one of the very few who had the courage to stand by her son right to the very moment of his death on the cross. Um, And I think that, that, yeah, to imagine her as this kind of sword of the spirit, I think is a, is a beautiful thing to think about because, you know, our living our Catholic faith, um, while it is all about love and uh, humility and obedience and, sub, and so forth, often it does actually involve a battle that we do need to arm ourselves to have courage and to know that Mary is always there, you know, right there with her love and compassion and also with her inconquerable strength that she's the one who, uh, who conquered the devil uh, definitively, as Genesis says, she crushed his head under her foot. But she's always on, her, on our side and always fighting for us. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Father Robert Nixon. You can find The Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. 16 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. 
And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. Hey Alexa, how many ways can I get EWTN? You can get EWTN on television, via cable and satellite, on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, and Google Play. You can get EWTN radio in your car, on Sirius XM Channel 130, and on the go, on any mobile device with the EWTN app. And here's the best news. Now you can get EWTN's great programming on me. 18 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. The U.S. bishops are calling for humanitarian aid for Armenian Christians who are currently trapped by Azerbaijan in a disputed territory. Hurricane Lee is now a Category 5 storm about 700 miles east of the northern Leeward Islands. And a new discovery at the Pontifical Biblical Institute is shining light on the church's protection of Jews during the Nazi occupation of Rome. All right, Anna Mitchell, I want to give a congratulations to the young men and women of my parish who received the Sacrament of Confirmation last night. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah. So In Bishop September. Campbell, Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of Washington, came out cool. to our parish and uh, gave a great homily on the Holy Spirit, quizzed some of the kids on their Confirmation Saints and why they picked them. Nice. Um, what was your favorite? Uh, I don't know. There was a, there was an Elizabeth Ann Seton in the mix. Uh, there was, uh, let's see, um, there were a couple of others. Sorry. St. Cecilia, St. Sebastian was in there. Sebastian's a popular one with the boys. Uh, there was a Benedict. There was, nice. Uh, I think there was three Cecilias. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, there was a lot. Thomas More, Thomas Aquinas, both in the mix. Good, good. Yeah, there was a, there were some good saint names. Was Zeke serving the Mass? Is that why he you were there? He was serving the Mass. He'd nice. never served for a bishop before. It was kind Ooh, of exciting. What did he... A whole he, bunch of servers. What was his job? Um, candle holding. Nice. So It's uh, an important job. It is an important job. That's but awesome. congratulations to them. May the Holy Spirit, who was with you at your baptism, stir into flame the gifts, the sevenfold gifts and uh, and highlight what you would have to do to uh, to make those gifts most fruitful in the life of the church. This is not your graduation. And actually, you know, Bishop Campbell said that. He's like, this is not the closing of a chapter of your spiritual formation. <laughs> he said, this is not. Just the beginning not in many like, ways. Oh, well, you finished your Catholic education. You finished your religious ed. He's like, no, this is animating you and how you approach your religious education from here moving forward. I was like, yeah, all right. Let's go. Up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. To the most precious blood of Jesus Christ, Almighty and Eternal Father, the magnitude of your love for us is reflected fully in the gift of your only begotten Son to humanity. He is not only equal to you, but one with you. We are indebted to you, and it stares us in the face. Obviously, we cannot pay you commensurately, but we are asking for your grace while demonstrating our willingness to love you in this adoration. We appreciate your benevolence and solicit your continued loving-kindness in helping us to put forth a more satisfying gesture of love and gratefulness through a change of our lives for the better. May the Holy Archangel Michael and your hosts of angels and saints join us and lead us closer to you through this adoration. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Chris McGregor from DiscerningHearts.com. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Anna. How are you today? I am doing fine and always grateful to get to talk to you. And our selection this week from the Office of Readings is for the Feast of the Nativity or the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary, one of three birthdays that we officially celebrate on the church calendar. Do you know the other two? Uh, John the Baptist, mm-hmm. and um, let's see. Who's the mm, other one? A mm. very big birthday. My <laughs> kids knew it before I did often. And they were like, it's coming. It's countdown. It's Christmas, coming. of course, it's the birth of Christ. of course, the birth of Christ. And so, um, obviously, if this is on the church calendar and only one of three birthdays, it's very significant that we celebrate the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And the reflection in the Office of Readings for the Feast is by St. Andrew of Crete. Do you know anything about him? Can you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, he's also known as St. Andrew of Jerusalem. And he is one of those guys like St. Ephraim that brought the sheer joy of hymnody, the, the lifting our hearts our prayers in song to the Lord. And of course, you know, these guys that have this this wonderful, just joyful lifting up, they they have these deep, wonderful reflections about the Blessed Virgin Mary and her nature. And should we be surprised that he would write about this important day, the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary? And it's a really beautiful reflection that he has here. But what So what does he teach us about why the church would celebrate the birth of Mary? Okay, all you Catholics out there who uh, sometimes encounters folks who will say, well, you, you worship the Blessed Virgin. No, we don't worship her. We honor her. We love her because she is a unique uh, creation of God in order to be able to, uh, hold the great mystery within her, if we can say it that way, of Christ, the importance of why Christ himself, Jesus, is it's all about him. And and you know, Anna, that every Marian celebration that we have, 
usually it will always point either to Jesus, to Christ, or it will point to us. It will point to why we are um, beloved by God and our unique nature and what we're called to. And that's what St. Andrew of Creed is doing right here. Yeah, well, it's kind of a both and, I think, in in a lot of ways. I mean, when I read this for the first time, I had to sit back and think about, you know, sometimes we we forget that in order for the incarnation to happen, there were a bunch of other things that needed to fall into place first. And and God had his hand in it all. I mean, this came out where he says this radiant and manifest coming of God to men most certainly needed a joyful prelude to introduce the great gift of salvation to us. The present festival, the birth of the Mother of God, is the prelude, while the final act is the foreordained union of the Word with flesh. Today the Virgin is born, tended and formed and prepared for her role as Mother of God, who is the universal King of ages. I mean, it's just this incredible thought. I mean, we know it, but do we really know it? God chose her for this. All creation sings because this is, as he said, this is the great uh, beginning. It's going to introduce what will inevitably not only lead to the incarnation and the birth of Christ into the world, but what can happen for us. Because he spends... You know, that, that first part of this office of reading, he, what he does is he talks about why Christ is so important, that there was before him, of course, the letter of the law. And, and man tried in, in what they would describe almost this burdensome try, attempt to be able to, to live out the law. But God knew that man would need so much more to be able to do them this not as a burden, but as something that's joy-filled, that it comes out of freedom. And what's that element? What is that that's needed? Grace. Grace becomes this opportunity. God brings grace and his uh, divine presence, and that allows us to be able to see it and experience the law in a new way. We begin to we understand what God's great uh, moment is happening not only in the life of the Blessed Virgin, but also in us. Because as you said, it's the great prelude. You know, when you think about it, Anna, and I know you just did this with your little ones, when when we take a baby to be baptized, that moment is a celebration because that soul now, because of grace, enters into that child. And God, Christ himself, makes his dwelling place within that child, within what was you and me. And now we become, in a very real way, connected. And the great prelude of all of this in creation was the blessed of the Virgin. She was prepared in such a way that he could come into the world. And all of creation just celebrates because now it begins. Now it's about to happen. And it is... Um, it's just an extraordinary thing, and St. Andrew of Crete sees that so clearly. That's such a beautiful point, that by her birth, this begins the process of ushering in this point that Christ can now enter into us. As he says at the end of this, 
today this created world is raised to the dignity of a holy place for him who made all things. The creature is newly prepared to be a divine dwelling place for the creator. And as you just said, that's all of us, our souls Mm -hmm. in baptism. So beautiful. We've been talking to Chris McGregor. You can find discerninghearts.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Chris, thank you so much. You're very welcome, Hannah. All right, it's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The U.S. bishops are calling for humanitarian aid for Armenian Christians who are trapped by Azerbaijan in the disputed territory of Nagorno-Karabakh, also known as Artsakh. Azerbaijan has for nine months now blocked the only corridor to the region, and the Christians there are facing dire shortages of food, medicine, and basic supplies to sustain life. Armenian Bishop Mikhail Moradian told the Sunrise Morning Show last week that the people are starving. Pregnant women are suffering miscarriages. The first death from starvation happened recently. Bishop David Malloy, who chairs the U.S. Bishops Committee on International Justice and Peace, said in a statement yesterday, quote, With the continued impasse of this conflict and the mounting consequences of this blockade, let us all be of one mind and one accord in our prayers for those suffering from this conflict to see this impending humanitarian catastrophe averted and to see this conflict ultimately resolved through peaceful means, end quote. Hurricane Lee is now a Category 5 storm. Mark Mayfield reports. The National Hurricane Center says rip currents and hazardous surf will spread across the northern Caribbean on Friday and begin affecting the U.S. mainland by Sunday. Lee, which has been swirling in the Atlantic Ocean, is packing maximum winds of roughly 160 miles per hour. Lee is about 700 miles east of the northern Leeward Islands. It is expected to remain powerful well into next week. I'm Mark Mayfield. One month after a wildfire destroyed the historic town of Lahaina on the Hawaiian island of Maui, nearly 400 people are still missing. Teams of rescuers, cadaver dogs, and anthropologists trained to detect fragments of human remains have searched nearly all of Lahaina. The official death toll has stood at 115 for more than two weeks, and 385 people are listed as missing still. A Fulton County special grand jury report related to former President Trump's Georgia election interference case is set to be released today. It's the result of an investigation into alleged efforts by the defendants to overturn the state's 2020 election results. There are a total of 19 defendants in the case, including the former president. A judge plans to release the report at 10 a.m. Eastern. A new discovery at the Pontifical Biblical Institute is shining light on the church's protection of Jews during the Nazi occupation of Rome. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The never-before-seen documents were unearthed in the archives of the Biblicum as part of extensive research conducted by a team of historians, marking a significant breakthrough in understanding efforts to protect Jews during World War II. The historic find consists of a list of 100 women's and 55 men's religious congregations which provided refuge, along with the precise numbers of people accommodated within these institutions. The newly rediscovered documents reveal the stories of more than 4,300 individuals, with 3,600 of them identified by name. The discovery shows that 3,200 of the individuals can be conclusively identified as Jews, including details about their hiding places and their lives before the persecutions. 
This newfound treasure trove of information significantly enriches the understanding of the role played by Catholic institutions in safeguarding Jewish lives during a time of immense peril. Out of respect for privacy concerns, access to the complete documentation is currently restricted. However, it was unveiled at a workshop held at the Shoah Museum in Rome, offering a glimpse into the untold stories hidden within its pages. The documentation itself was meticulously compiled by Italian Jesuit Father Gozzolino Birolo between June 1944 and the spring of 1945, following the liberation of Rome by the Allied forces. During the period of Nazi occupation of Rome from September 1943 until the city's liberation in June 1944, the Jewish community endured horrific persecution. Tragically, nearly 2,000 people, including hundreds of children and adolescents, were deported and killed during this dark time. I'm Devin Watkins. Pope Francis met yesterday with members of the Italian Biblical Association and participants in Italy's National Bible Week, saying to them that the church needs to help the faithful grow closer to God through his word. The Holy Father said, quote, Dear friends, go forth, go ahead in your mission to help God's people be nourished by the word so that the Bible may be increasingly the heritage of all, end quote. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks... Who is the invisible head of the church? Jesus Christ is the invisible head of the church. By head of the church, we mean that there is a relationship between a biological head and a biological body and the figurative head of an organization and all the people underneath it. The biological head is the seat of rationality, that whereby will and intellect decide and thereby guide the rest of the body. When our Lord wished to establish his church, He came from heaven, and he set Peter in his place to be the visible head of this body. The bishop of Rome, the pope, he is the vicar of Christ on earth, and thereby he leads the rest of the body of Christ just as Christ himself leads the church. And we can thank the Lord for giving us the pope and the church so that we might thereby reach that place where Christ lives and reigns forever and ever. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. You can find them online at lifeandhope.com. Bobby, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So uh, very often you have to tell us about uh, 
unsettling developments in the world of assisted suicide. And uh, you've certainly got one of those today. I wonder if you could share that with us. Yeah, it really is, Matt. I mean, every time you think it couldn't get worse um, or, or more um, just McCabe, it's just then something pops up. And I actually think we, we might have touched on this years ago when they were first talking and developing this, but there's a, a man, a doc, he is a former doctor. His name, he goes by the moniker. In fact, he enjoys his name, uh, moniker, Dr. Death. It's Philip Nitschke. He's over in Australia. He's the head of Exit International. It's a nonprofit. And, and he goes around and, and pushes assisted suicide. And he got together with this uh, uh, gentleman from UK back in 2012 to develop basically what they call a suicide coffin. If you go online, and you put in uh, a Google search on this, you can see what this thing looks like. And essentially, a person would, who wants to die would jump into this little coffin, a suicide coffin. It would ask them a few questions, um, and then if you answer those questions correctly, you would push a button and then die quickly. It, it really is horrifying, Matt. Um, they're doing everything they can to normalize uh, suicide. They're making it easy. Uh, they're glamorizing it, and um, and I think with the statistics that we're seeing, you know, Matt, last year in California alone that legalized suicide, there was a 63% increase in assisted suicide in California in just one year. Almost a thousand people took their lives by assisted suicide in Cal- just in California last year. There's a strong push to legalize this in other states. They fully intend to market this coffin in the U.S. Uh, right now they're trying to get it uh, in Switzerland. Once this thing uh, starts to be sold in different countries, they're going to do their best to push it here in the U.S. And i got to tell you, Matt, there's nothing that I don't believe is going to stop them from, from purchasing these coffins and, and start marketing them here in the United States. Well, Bobby, we talk all the time on this segment about how these conversations start as why don't you let a person make their choice about how they want, you know, to to end their life if they're suffering. And then it goes into doctors, you know, having an obligation to put people out of their misery. But, you know, behind all this is this other thing that we talk about all the time, which is the insurance costs. As I'm reading uh, this article that you sent me about these death pods, right, um, the Daily Mail reports that each pod costs between four and $8,000. The use of the pods limited to members of Exit International – Membership in Exit International is $100, and if an insurance company is just looking at the balance sheet and says, well, we could pay for six months of treatment for you, or for $5,000, we could uh, cover everything with one pod and an Exit International membership. I mean, this is kind of like situations that come into play, right? I mean, if you're looking at cost-benefit analysis on the spreadsheet – it's clear what would be the financially easy thing to do for an insurance company, and that's terrifying. Oh, I mean, everything we see in our culture, Matt, is, being, is corrupted by, by money. And, of course, I think the insurance company is a big part in driving the assisted suicide lobby and agenda. Because, yes, it saves them a tremendous amount of money if someone wants to take their lives rather than treat them or use those resources to help them go through whatever it is they're going through. If it might be a long-term situation. Yeah, this, this flies in the face of everything that, is, that we believe as Christians, everything we believe uh, as how we comfort people that are suffering. 
Uh, this is completely contrary to everything we, we, we learn about what it means to be, be Christian. You, Matt, Matt it's, it's interesting. Um, they, they talk about, it's funny, I read this, and uh, Philip Nitschke says, he disputes the idea that this glamorizes suicide. But yet, if you go on to this, they have a website for the suicide problem, and if you go on one of the pages, you know what the first thing it says on one of these pages? It, it raises the question, what if we dare to imagine that our last day might also be one of our most exciting? That's what they're saying, promoting this suicide pod. Um, when you go onto this page, uh, trying to convince people that this is a dignified death. And I think Wesley raises a good point. He says, if we want to believe that these are dignified, dignified deaths, what does that mean that people don't want to die naturally, that that's not a dignified death? And, 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 and you also look at the medical community, too, Matt. I mean, you talk about... Uh, I mean, doctors, and, and something I said in the, in, in the article itself, this, again, this, this is contrary to what doctors are, are supposed to do for patients and act as healers, not as killers. So, I mean, on, on, uh, every way you look at this, assisted suicide is just wicked, and we need to do everything we can to, to push back and, and, and let people know how dangerous it is to support this type of uh, movement. Well, Bobby, I've also watched too much science fiction, uh, and I've lived long enough to watch a lot of it sort of come true. <laughs> and so as I'm looking at this, this is insane, right? Uh, that the person climbs into the machine, they're going to they're gonna be asked three questions, and they answer verbally. So there needs to be like a verbal voice response to like a series of questions, and then the process starts. Well, it seems to me, man, we've got the technology to get pretty good recordings of people's voices. People could possibly like use these as like murder machines and commit like this sort of perfect crime where everything was like, said in a recorded manner i mean like there's you're opening insane doors here i mean it is terrifying i mean of course that's already sort of happening with uh people saying things about you know people with brain injuries saying oh well they told me that this was okay right there's always it, it was that stuff was already happening but this to me seems like it would open the door much wider for those kind of scenarios I never thought of that, Matt. I mean, yeah, that's quite possible. I'm, I'm sure this could be used in, in, in different wicked ways. And, and I can also see this being applied to situations like Terry, because I talk all the time about the uh, inhumanity of starving and dehydrating someone to death, right? And then we're doing it every day. Well, they, they can just come along, okay, well, Bobby, you're complaining about starving people to death. Why don't we just put them in this pod where they can die quickly, peacefully, and painlessly? And it, 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 it's, it's just... Um, well, you know, hey, hey, I have a better idea. Why, why don't we do something that's really humane and just continue to treat these people instead of pushing towards death? So, but, yeah. but you're, but you're right, Matt. I mean, this could be used for all kind of evil ways, um, and and I'm sure it will be. I mean, th that's just the death movement. I mean, it, it's being, it, it, there's obviously this, this is this is um, it, it, you can look at it as being satanic with, with what's going on here. It's just it's really uh, incredibly frightening. Well, you touched on something that's a common theme of our conversations as well, which is that it's not your humanity is not derived from your physical abilities or your cognitive abilities. Your humanity comes from the fact that you're made in the image of God, right? And uh, that means that even Dr. Philip Nitschke is made in the image of God, <laughs> the guy who goes by the moniker Dr. Death. Uh, so I not only pray for a change in our culture, but a change in him as well on this question, uh, because imagine the impact that it could have if somebody like this realized 
the gravity of what they were doing and turned from it. So, Bobby Schindler, if our listeners want to connect with you and find out more about your work, how do they do so? Sure. Thank you, Matt. It's lifeandhope.com, lifeandhope.com. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks, Bobby. Have a great day. Thank you, Matt. God bless you. All right. On to uh, more uplifting conversations. We'll look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings with Father Jonathan Duncan coming up next. This from TBN. Weaving its way through the heart of the Holy Land is a well-worn path that once felt the footsteps of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, and Jesus. Host David Friedman and Mike Pompeo take a sacred journey of hope along Route 60, the biblical highway. Experience the land of the Bible as you've never seen it. In theaters September 18th and 19th, Route 60, the biblical highway. Information at Route60.movie. That's Route60.movie. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonrisemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonrisemorningshow.com. What's stopping you from becoming a Catholic? Why can't women become priests? I don't understand why I have to earn salvation. How is it possible that God created everything? Why do I need to confess my sins to a why priest? Why is the Catholic Church so unwilling to recognize the Catholic Church is too rich? Catholics worship Mary and our community. As far as I'm concerned, all religions are equal. You are called to communion with Dr. David Anders. Today, 2 p.m. Eastern, on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. This is Dr. David Anders. Are your friends or family discouraging you from becoming Catholic? We can help on Call to Communion this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston. He's involved in all kinds of stuff down there. It's down in relation to me. It's it's sort of southward, but uh, he is director of spiritual health at Bon Secours St. Francis Hospital. He's got school and college campus ministry that's part of his beat as well. Father Duncan, good morning. Good to be with you, Matt. So there are all kinds of directions we can go, as usual, with the Sunday Mass readings. But I find it interesting, and again, I don't know if this is part of your journey. It wasn't necessarily part of mine. Uh, but it's the part of a lot of people I talk to who are coming from Protestant backgrounds towards Catholicism. They read this passage from Sunday's Gospel, and they don't know what to do with it. So it says here that uh, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault, your, his fault between you and him. If he listens, good. Uh, if he doesn't, then take one or two others. Uh, if he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. Now, why this becomes a crisis point for some of our Protestant brothers and sisters is let's say that uh, 
you're at the office and you got your friend Bob, who's also a Christian but goes somewhere else, and he's doing something that you know is a problem. You approach him. Maybe you get a couple other people from the work Bible study to approach him. It's no good. Now you take it to the church, but do you take it to your church that Bob doesn't go to? Do you take it to Bob's pastor? Who has the authority now to tell Bob what's going on and what he should be doing differently? I mean, this is a crisis point verse for a lot of people. Absolutely, and I think for so many folks, uh, and certainly this is how I grew up, you know, we focus in on kind of the the comforting-sounding bits, like uh, at the very end of the Gospel, very familiar passage where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And everyone always takes that, that passage sort of out of context and says, oh, you know, the Lord's present with us, which, which is true, but the context of that passage is the Lord's presence as authoritative judge as the Church issues an excommunication. Yeah. Like, this is the immediate... Con- it's not simply um, the Lord is present wherever two or three are gathered in a, in, a, in a vague sense, but this whole setting is about how the disciples of the Lord Jesus are given His authority, that He's present with the Church when it has to, for the sake of of the health of the whole body, and for the sake of the souls of those who are erring, has to exercise its authority as, as judge. And that's yeah. such a critical... And that, that runs counter to everything as, as modern Western individualistic people. Um, it's hard for us to acknowledge that there could be someone else, a community, that would have authority over how I act and how I live, and, and, and have authority to, to bring discipline to me. But that's, of course, exactly what we see in the early Church, and that's what we see here grounded in the Gospel. Well, I don't think we hear enough examples of how that does work, but I know some examples of how it has worked. <laughs> I've got a friend uh, who um, has also sort of shared his, his conversion story, and he was big into drug dealing in high school, and all kinds of stuff, but still showing up at youth group. And one day his youth minister said, listen, man, you can't be hanging around here, here anymore given the stuff you're involved in. Somebody's going to come by in a drive-by aiming for you and hit somebody else. You can't be here. And it was a harsh thing to tell this guy. And he felt rejected. He didn't understand it. But later he did and had a massive conversion and realized you know, there was real damage I was doing, not just to myself, but to other people by my horrible behavior, and that got my attention. Um, you know, it doesn't always work out, right? Some people just feel rejected nope. and they never come back. But we still have this kind of obligation to, to point things out to people and say, hey, listen, out of love, we need to tell you that what you're, not, what you're doing is not good for you and it's not good for other people. Absolutely. I mean, many people may not think of it this way, but the church's process for annulments, the whole tribunal process, this is one way that the Church exercises this discipline, is by rendering judgment on, uh, on, on the nullity or not of someone's union, and that's part of the way that—and sometimes the Church has to really call people to task and say, you know what, this union is still very much a valid union, and you need to stop living the way you're living and honor that. And sometimes the Church has to do that, and, and people... I've known some people, by the grace of God, to receive that judgment back from the Church, that disciplinary judgment back from the Church, and live as brother and sister 
regularly making confession, trying to, to live out uh, the faithful witness of Christ. And I know others who've gotten that and have left the communion of the Church because they didn't want to receive that kind of discipline. Yeah, I think... Uh... But discipline, discipline is essential. It's the same root as the word disciple. It is essential to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, is being open to being disciplined by the Church and to be shaped as a disciple. Yeah, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, kind of the Chesterton line comes to mind, where we don't want a church who uh, thinks that the way we do, uh, you know, we do, that's right where we're right. We want a church that's right where we're wrong, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that the church exactly. can shape us and mold us. But I think, I mean, to take it kind of to a, a, a bigger level, I don't have the powers by myself to excommunicate people, and neither do most of our listeners. Uh, nope. So, uh, but at the same time, there are all kinds of people who have sort of mentally excommunicated uh, various people. I think the best example of this is politicians who drive you nuts, uh, who sure. say one thing about Catholicism and then go and do the exact opposite or do something antagonistic to Catholicism. And I think there's an important check in our spirit that needs to happen with our attitude in those situations, because uh, there are a lot of us lay people who cry for those folks to be excommunicated, and the attitude that we have sometimes is, why don't we just get them excommunicated so they can go on to hell where they belong? When in fact, uh, what we really are are wanting, if we understand, if we want what the church wants, is why don't we get their attention? Why didn't, isn't their attention gotten so they can repent and join us at the table in the right way? Absolutely, both our Old Testament and our epistle reading for this Sunday speak to all of this. All of this discipline is grounded in love for the other person. That's what we hear from Saint Paul in Romans. It's grounded for their good. And as we hear in the Old Testament, it's grounded in saving their soul and saving their communion with Christ through the Church. And all of the way the Church exercises that discipline is to get people restored to communion with us and through our communion, communion with the living, risen Christ. Yeah, and uh, and again, I think it's also a great time to examine our conscience. I, you know, I heard somebody the other day, uh, I can't remember if it was a deacon or priest or whoever, uh, you know, making the joke about you know someone coming up and saying, "How come, how come you don't preach more about sin?" And the pastor, the deacon, saying back to him, "All right, what sin are you struggling with, so I can preach about it?" <laughs> and of course, <laughs> somebody who's asking that is not saying, "Tell me what's wrong with my life." They're usually saying, "Tell that other guy over there what he's doing is messed up." I think it, it, this also no. calls us each to be open to like, what is the thing in my life? What's the thing in and, my life I need to be called on? Part of part of being in the church is being open to being corrected and educated. And this is the beautiful thing about being a part of a Catholic Church, is we're corrected and educated by believers all over the world, different races, different languages, and different centuries throughout time, and they correct and educate us constantly and help us to be disciplined. All part of the same body, the body of Christ. Father Jonathan Duncan, thank you. Have a wonderful day. That wraps it up for the Sunrise Morning Show here on a Friday. It's Mary's birthday. Celebrate accordingly. I'm Matt Swain. For all of us here at the Sunrise Morning Show, hope you have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on a Monday morning. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.